Hello. Welcome to Hear Her Sports. I am your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. This year, the Cyclocross World Championships are in the U.S., in Fayetteville, Arkansas. The last time that happened was in 2013, when they were in Louisville, Kentucky. I was there then, and I'm excited to be going to watch the racing again this year. If you're going to, absolutely, please reach out. I'd love to say hello, and we'll be carrying some giveaways for you. There have been controversies about the World Championships in Arkansas because of Arkansas's recent shameful anti-trans history. There were calls for a ban on the event and to move it to another location. If you would like to read more on this, I've included some links in the show notes. For those of you not familiar with cyclocross, it's sort of like a combination of mountain biking and road biking. The bikes look like road bikes with drop bars, but have more clearance between the tire and frame, so less mud builds up there. In high-level racing like the world's, tires are limited to a max width of 33 millimeters. The frames are designed for the technical, explosive riding required in the sport. The season is fall and winter, so it's often muddy and wet and cold. The races are held on short courses that take roughly six to 10 minutes for one lap. They include features like sand, barriers to bunny hop on your bike or jump over on foot, super steep climbs to run up with a bike on your shoulder, and other fun stuff like flyovers and pump tracks. Female riders go around and around for about 45 minutes and the men for about an hour. It's super great to watch. We've been watching on GCN. I have a link in the show notes for that as well. Today's guest is Helen Wyman, retired British superstar cyclocrosser. Not only are her results stellar, she is also a longtime advocate for equity in the sport. I wanted to get her on the show to review the work she did while on the UCI Cyclocross Commission and to get a preview of the World Championship racing that will take place very soon, January 28th to 30th. Helen and I talk about all of that and some fun details about racing cyclocross that will prep you for watching. I feel a little bit bad because Helen and I do a little bit of nitpicking of American Clara Hansinger's stars. But one, as Helen says, there's no secret that Clara is not the fastest starter. Two, I talk with Clara herself about starts in episode 100 when she was on the podcast. Three, Helen's comments are super interesting. She has so much insight. The tiniest details make an elite racer. I mean, to bend your knee or not to bend your knee. You'll have to listen to our conversation for that reference. And finally, both of us admit to some of our own foibles in the same area. We both know how hard cyclocross starts are, and really our interest, at least mine anyway, is all about wanting Clara to win a bunch of top-level races. Now, let's get to the conversation with Helen. Helen Wyman is 10-time British cyclocross champion, two-time European champion, and a world championship bronze medalist. She grew up in a cycling family with some very funny stories of early touring adventure vacations, she began racing at age 14 and found cyclocross at 18 when the cross season fitted conveniently around her university studies in physiotherapy. Then, at 23 years old, she took up the sport full-time. She rose to the top of British cyclocross as well as to the top of the international field. Helen has dedicated so much time and energy to racing cyclocross and equally important to making progress for the sport towards equality for female riders. This included four years on the UCI Cyclocross Commission. She retired from racing in 2018, and since then established Helen 100 to provide opportunities to women in cyclocross, has been the expert commentator for Red Bull coverage on cyclocross, and she has become a mom. For more from Helen, take a listen to episode 22, where I first learned about Helen and her advocacy work. It's in that discussion you can hear about her early cycling start. 
Welcome, Helen. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I wanted to get you here to talk about media coverage of cyclocross. Okay. Because I found cyclocross is doing a really great job of equal coverage, and I often mention it as an example of places where it's going right. And I credit the work you did on the UCI Cyclocross Commission for those changes and for the great coverage. So I want to hear some more stories from you and also get your impression of how things are going. Well, I would say that cyclocross is in a really healthy position now for women. In terms of cyclocross coverage, one of the first things that I changed on the, when I first went into the Cross Commission was a couple of rules that were free. And they made huge, huge impact. The people in the commission didn't necessarily believe me that they would. And it turns out that I was right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the first thing I changed was that the elite women's race had to be immediately before the elite men's race. And at the time in Belgium, in the Super Prestige Series, we were racing at 10.30 in the morning. There was one youth race, like maybe under 14s, that was on before us, and that was it. So, you know, we weren't getting any of the coverage that the guys were getting. We weren't getting any of the... Um, press we weren't we were getting no tv time maybe a minute and a half if that because the camera crews weren't even really set up at that time of the day so by the other series in belgium were doing great things they were the b post bank trophy at the time and they're now the exo bad trophy and they were actually trying to progress the sport they were trying to get sponsors for the women they were trying to get more tv time all those kinds of things. They were the Koppenberg was part of that race, and that was the first ever equal prize money UCI race in Europe. Oh, I didn't and know. And that. that was sponsored by an American company, by 2020 Cycles, who were a friend of mine. So they were quite progressive, and we got this rule change through. And the first year, the Super Prestige actually said, "Well, the under 23 is going to have some TV, and we've already sorted it out, so you can be before the under 23s, but there'll be." you, them, them, then the elites. And okay, (laughs) right, fine, whatever. And then nothing happened off of that anyway. So it was just a super prestige, like digging their heels in. And then the following year, because the super prestige wanted, needed good riders because they were going to have a prime slot, they started paying more contract money. And because they started trying to get better riders, the B-Post Bank trophy thought we've got to do something different and so they actually put on the first fully televised women's cross races and because the first one had such good viewing figures they actually did 23 races I think that season everybody suddenly realized that women's cross is actually something that generates new money it doesn't just recycle the money that's already in the sport like the elite men and the under 23s do and so the B-Post Bank Trophy were able to get new sponsors in specifically for the women's race and nothing to do with the men's because they could have the name of the race in their television coverage, which was going to be 50 minutes to an hour as well, which is this, the men's is probably only an hour and 20 minutes TV coverage anyway. And then off of that... <laughs> Wait, I'm going to stop you. It's, so what, what year was that? Oh, the first rule change was 2000 and I honestly can't remember. I'd have to look that up. Maybe I think it was 14. So that makes it seven years ago. Yeah. Okay. 
And so prior to 2014, the women raced on the same day as the men, but way earlier in the day. So as no. you said, like basically the course wasn't really set up, the TV wasn't set up, blah, blah, blah. No, only in the Super Prestige. Every other race in the world was pretty much the elite women before the elite men. But the most money in cyclocross is in Belgium. And so the Super Prestige is this massive series and a Galazzo run series, which at the time was B Post Bank, is the opposing massive series. And Galazzo actually run athletics and stuff like that as well. And the Super Prestige is only a cyclocross series. Um, Galazzo also do the Flanders Super Sportive and stuff like that. So they're a big uh, sports company and cross is one of the smaller aspects of what they do. But they do athletics where television is equal. They do <laughs> other other sports. They represent athletes, men and women. And so let's say they're more progressive as an organization. Because of their ideals and because of their ability and their desire to do something to show that they're a better series for women to stay one head step ahead, they put this TV coverage on. And because they put the TV coverage on within two years, we had occasions where the viewing figures for the women were better than the men, were higher than the wow. men. And last season, it was consistently equal or higher for the women than the men, because the men's races, you had either Matthew van der Poel one on his own, <laughs> or Matt Van Hart one on his own. Right. And the women's races, you had five or six riders that were capable of winning that race, and quite often it went right down to the finish line. So... Also, the women's races are on normally around 1.30, 1.45. And the men's races are on at 3 o'clock. So a lot of people have lunch, watch the women's race, record the men's, come back and watch it later. So the the timings and everything have actually worked out that the, the live viewing figures are quite often higher for the women's race than the men's. That's so cool. Very, very cool. And it's one rule change, one free rule change that they could have done years before but they didn't. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons that I use that story as an example so often is that it's such a simple change. And as you said, it's a free change. And, you know, when I first started recording for the podcast, so many people, not just in cycling, but in all different sports would say, you know, it's like turning the Titanic. It's just way too hard. And then I turned to your story about just moving the women's race in time, you know, where it's scheduled in relation to the men's race? The, the thing is, you can either develop a sport through activism and through supporting your sport, or you can revolutionise your sport. And to be fair, cyclocross didn't need revolutionising. It needed the UCI to stand up and do the things that were what would be expected in 2020 <laughs> but it didn't need revolutionizing if that's such a thing such a word because the races are already on the same day as the men's we're already getting some footfall by having the race immediately before the men's you're getting all the footfall because everyone wants to be in place so they can watch the men's race but because they're there they're going to start looking at the riders they're going to pick their favorites they're going to start following because they start following the women's race they go there a little bit earlier to get drunk so that they they can watch the women's race because they've now got people that they support in that. They can buy their 
their scarves and all those things and they can get their photo with them and they can feel really excited about the fact they've met their superstars and they've got two opportunities to do that instead of just one. The professionalism of the sport has increased beyond recognition from when I first started racing to now because when I first started racing in 1999 there wasn't a world championship for women. The first world championship was 2000 and now Two years ago, 2019, was the first year where we had equality across the board at the World Championships. So there's junior men, junior women, under 23 women, under 23 men, elite women, elite men. And that was the first year. So it took 19 years to go from no race to three for women, which is probably slow progress, but we've got there. You can't change the past. But the biggest difference in terms of professionalism at the top of the sport, in my opinion, is the TV coverage, is because you have TV coverage, the teams, the Belgian teams, where all the money is again, want to have a rider in that. Because if you have, there's an hour's TV coverage for the women, there's an hour and 20 for the men's, and you've got five men, but only one gets on TV, why would you want four men that aren't on TV when you could have a woman? So because the teams were fighting for the top women, it brought on the professionalism of the riders that weren't quite there yet, that needed the kickstart to be able to get there, that progresses of the sport. There was also a rule that in order to have a UCI team, you had to have a woman on the team, which also helps a tiny bit for the smaller UCI teams. But I think because you want your jersey seen, that's what a team's about. The team is about getting a return to your sponsors and your sponsors want their jersey seen and television in Belgium is how you get a return <laughs> for your Belgian sponsors. So they had to have women, basically. Otherwise, you're missing out on half of the television coverage. But what I like about your story is that you made it so easy for the television. You know, they didn't have to do much extra work to get the women on the TV because it was on the same day. It was right before they were already set up, all of that. Yeah, everything's set up, all the cameras are in place. They even recorded parts of the women's race when they were immediately before because they're just testing equipment and stuff. <laughs> so it's not like they never did it in the past. Yeah, it was such an easy thing to do and it required probably a tiny bit more. Although I don't, I don't think you'd get paid anymore if you covered four races or one race at a cross race in terms of the television crew and stuff. So yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't really cost any more either. So it is madness that it didn't happen in so long. But equally, was the sport in a place to look good on television 19 years ago? Well, it wouldn't look like it looks now, that's for sure. Now it looks really exciting. Now all the riders are at the top are really good. The courses are different now. They're not quite so, like, mud and power and things like that. So... They're more exciting races, they're more technical, and the top riders are so technically good in women's racing now. Explain the difference in courses a little bit more. Uh, when I first started racing, it was a lot more muddy, mud-slogging field, using the terrain that was there. And over time, it's changed quite a lot that now people put features into a race. So the Koppenberg's a very traditional race. It's always been there. It will always be there. It's that has actually had to change, but because the farmer didn't want to rent his field out anymore or something, or he asked too much for it. And so the organizers said, yeah, no, we can't afford that. So they kept it on the other side, but 
that's a very traditional using the big feature of a, a massive cobbled steep hill <laughs> um but other races they put in like tire jump things they put in loads of man-made steps off canvas really they'll build a feature bmx track sections they'll build a feature into what they have rather than just taking the terrain and making a cross course on it were you doing a lot of you know basically field cross kind of things like in a big open field with not much features at all uh there's always features because the traditional courses are like Havre, which is on the side of a hill with a death drop that they've used for 35 years Koppenberg has got the massive cobble climb with lots of crazy descents, lots of steep mud sections. Yeah, Coxider's sand, it's always been sand, it's never changed. Um, that course has changed so much, but it's still sand. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of traditional courses that always had those features. And the weather has changed as well. There was definitely a lot more rain earlier in the year than there is now. And 2018-19 was a really dry, dry season. Yeah, that was the year I retired actually. And we were still using short sleeve skin suits in February and that's just unheard of. So the seasons have changed. The last two years have actually got a bit muddier again, but not consistently. Whereas when you raced in Belgium from October to February, you were in mud, <laughs> knee deep in mud, wherever you were racing, even on a course that wasn't necessarily muddy. And yeah, now like Hoogstraten, for example, is at the end of season and this is super prestige in February. And every year I raced it, except the last one, it was knee deep in mud. And it's the same, exactly the same venue. They've moved it now, but it was exactly the same venue for the last six years or so. And it's and still the conditions have got less muddy every year. So it just shows that the seasons have definitely got drier. And that changes courses. Sure. You mentioned how the riders are getting so technically skilled. And is that sort of a ripple effect of more money going to the women's side? They can afford to not have a second job, for example, and to completely focus on training and hire assistants and things like that? I think it's actually because we get them at a younger age. Ah. So um, Amory Warst was a mountain biker. Puck Peters is still a mountain biker. Celine Del Carmen Alvarado did some mountain biking. Evie Richards was a world champion in mountain biking. Tom Pickock is the Olympic gold medalist in mountain biking. And these riders all raced cross from a very young age. But if you race an Olympic sport and a non-Olympic sport, and the Olympic sport has funding from national federations or the drive of this Olympic medal, there's more money. Mountain biking had more money for women anyway. Probably still does, to be fair, for the very top women. And you have this drive that, you know, you could earn three, four hundred thousand euros as a rider like Yolanda Neff. Why would you go into cross when probably the highest salary was 50,000 euros and you weren't earning equal prize money and you're getting very little start money, particularly compared to the men. So when you're 18 and your path could go mountain biking or cross, why would you choose cross? Whereas now for the last two seasons, 
Celine Del Carmen Alvarado had the most prize money of any cyclocross rider in the world, male or female. Yeah. yeah. For the last two seasons. So I can't remember who was second and third last season, but the season before it was Celine and then Elizabeth and then it was Anne-Marie Worst. So the first and the third woman, I think Celine won something like 137,000 euros in prize money. Just in prize money. Right, right. And Elizabeth was on probably 125,000 in prize money. And then a woman was third. Because every series pays equal prize money, so now it's 40,000 euros to win the Super Prestige, 40,000 for a World Cup, 30,000 for the Bad Camera Trophy. Overall. So until three years ago, five years ago, that wasn't (laughs) anything like that. And so now you're a young rider. You don't actually have to be in the best team in the world because if you're good enough, you will get a good team and they will give you a good salary. But also you have the opportunity to win this huge amount of money in prize money. Yeah, I mean, even when we last spoke, the prize money was not equal yet. No, no. This season was the first season that every single prize fund, pot, everything, individual rounds and overall series are exactly the same men and women. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so it took eight years to get that <laughs> from when I left the commission till, <laughs> right. till now. But at least when I was on the commission, we got equal C1, equal C2, equal overall prize funds. And they did finally agree that within three years or four years, they would have equality. So, And it happened. And they have now. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, AKA their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you. Before we continue, can you catch us up on how you're still connected to cyclocross and what you're doing and how you're involved? So after retiring, I um, actually worked with a team, Experza team, which had four women in, three under-23s and one elite. And we did all the training camps and everything. And also that season, I did the commentary for Red Bull TV on the World Cups which was amazing. I absolutely loved it. And it was brilliant, really well put together, a great program. And then I had my baby in 2020, March 2020, just before lockdown. And excellent timing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, none of, I mean, my parents and my husband's parents, so the grandparents never got to meet Sasha until he was um, five months old. Which is a huge shame. Yeah. Because we live in Germany and they live in England. And that was a massive shame. But 
at least they've met him lots of times now. And yeah, he's a cool kid, so they'll forget in no time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then with lockdown and um, with Sasha, I've just been doing stuff for junior women's racing kind of um, on the side. We had a women junior women's race series, which was that, that was 2020 was the last series we had in Europe. And unknown rider <laughs> called Femme Van Empel was leading the junior series. There was four rounds and she raced cross and she played soccer football. She had to choose between the soccer or cross and she was like oh well I'm leading this series so I'm just going to do cross for for the rest of the winter because soccer and cross at the same time of the season and she won and off the back of it she got picked up by one of the big teams in Belgium because she was the best junior all-around junior so she rode for Pals Sals which is a really big team in Belgium and they work with their juniors really well to develop them over time to become good elites. The next season that she got to race, she was under 23 because she was second year junior already. So she was under 23 and she won the under 23 world championships, her first under 23 world championships. And about a month ago, she won Val de Sol Elite World Cup. So by putting on four junior races in Europe where juniors could race each other, which is the only junior races in the world at the time, <laughs> apart from the World Championships, we gave a young rider an opportunity to choose between soccer and cyclocross. And that young rider, having chosen cyclocross, has put all the work in and had all the great opportunities that her equivalent junior man would have and she's now an incredibly, incredibly successful world champion and elite World Cup winner. And so fun to watch. She's a great Amazing. rider to watch. Yeah, she's really good to watch. She's yeah. so determined and calm. That last move in the last World Cup of Adsaw in the corner where yes. Mariana comes up the inside and then crashes into her and it's like, she's just like ice. It's just amazing. <laughs> but um, so we've been doing some stuff with the juniors and the Helen 100 supported a junior series in America this year, meaning that the junior women could race for free, but the race organizers got the entry fees, <laughs> you know? So basically we paid for the junior women to race and uh, supported them with prize money and stuff. That was really good as well. It's really cool to see that you could regularly see junior boys do well in cross and then move into road. You very rarely see a junior girl come into cross and stay in cross. It's really exciting to see riders like Zoe Baxter has done all the Hello 100 races and she's junior world road champion and will probably be junior world cross champion in two weeks. Probably. Um, <laughs> uh, Kaya Schmidt was second at the world championships on the road to Zoe Baxter and she was actually second in the Trek Cup that was supported by Hello 100 for juniors in 2019. Puck Peters was always good, and she's raced a junior women's series. But we've had some really good riders are thinking it's worth staying in the sport and progressing through to the elite level because they've had these junior races where they can actually race each other. <laughs> Maddie Munro had a top 10 in a World Cup, and she was a winner of one of the Helen 100 series races in Belgium, and I think she won Baal. So 
that's really exciting to be able to do stuff like that. That's now come to an end because as of next season, every UCI race that has a junior boys race has to have a junior women's race. Oh, wow. And so there's no need to have the Helen 100 supporting races anymore because it's UCI compulsory. So most races in Belgium have a junior men's race and so therefore they will have to have a junior women's. And this year there were the Exobud Trophy had a junior women's series, which is really cool because they were the ones that run the series for us back in 2019. Um, and they had a series off their own back because they'd shown it was successful. They'd shown they can give the junior women the opportunity to race really well, to win races and to get themselves exposure for, for teams going forward into the future of their career. So another progressive move by the races run by Galazzo. <laughs> Good for them. And yeah, and then I've just been a mum, really, which is time consuming in itself. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure the COVID is not helping, <laughs> helping with well, any yeah. of that. Yeah. And I mean, living in a country away from the rest of your family is literally me. Death's at work. So it's just me and Sasha. So yeah, it's a lot of work, but we've made lots of friends that ride bikes, which is quite cool. So we do a lot of riding. In Munich, it's really, really safe. There's lots of bike paths, loads of forests and stuff. So we go on play dates, but we ride to our play dates. And one of my friends has just moved down to the lake, which is 80 kilometer round trip. So 50 mile trip with the trailer and the kid. No, you're ki- No, come on. Yeah, it's awesome. I've got, <laughs> I've got an e-assist bike. So I've got this Ribble one and it's a brilliant bike and it assists up to 26k an hour. And so up to, I think that's like 15 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're accelerating, it's brilliant. You can have three different settings and it will assist up to 100 watts. But on 100%, it's like it accelerates really fast. It's really good. And then once you hit 26, you're on your own, basically, which cruising is okay once you've got up to speed it's okay with the trainer on the back it's getting it up to speed (laughs) is the hardest part so we can average like 25k an hour to get to the lake and stuff so yeah it's an hour and a half's ride and then we're at the lake for like three hours and then we're hour and a half ride back we only do that in the summer to be fair the last time we did it was october and then we've got another friend that lives the other side of munich and we go meet her and have play dates there, but we ride everywhere. We ride to the baby class. There's an amazing swimming pool. It's like a 25k round trip. There's berry picking, which is like a 30k round trip. We ride there. And one of my friends from when I used to race road, she lives not that far away. <laughs> she lives just south of Munich and she was a South African road rider. She went to the London Olympics. And she's got two kids, so we meet up with her quite a lot as well. And her husband works for Specialized, so she was riding out on her e-mountain bike, which are really good bikes, with a trailer with two kids in the back (laughs) to meet me, who was riding out on my e-bike to meet her with a kid in the back of mine. So um, (laughs) the the e-mountain bikes have a lot of watts in them, whereas this road bike is, is really... I got it when I was pregnant so I could do team training camps, so... When I was six months pregnant, we did a, a training camp in Calpay. I was basically motor pacing the girls up the hill because I could still get like a 170, 180 heart rate without stressing myself. Then I would make them sprint past and stuff like that and get back on again. And and it was actually really, really good because the gradient of the hill affects you because you're putting effort out, even though the bike's assisting you, you're still putting effort out. And so the gradient affects you. So 
when you're motor pace on a motorbike, it's quite easy, or a moped, it's quite easy to drop a rider because, yeah, the engine works a bit harder, but you don't feel that resistance. Whereas when you're riding it yourself, you feel the resistance. That's really fun. So yeah, so I had it when I was pregnant and it's the most versatile bike ever. And it's a friendly e-bike because you cannot get any assist over 15 miles an hour. So <laughs> when you're when you're riding along, you can't drop people <laughs> because it, it literally is you that's doing that effort. Whereas some e-bikes I've been on, you can do, yeah, 40k an hour, so what's that, 30-ish miles an hour, 33 miles an hour, something like that. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's not really a friendly e-bike because no normal person on a normal bike can ride at that speed. So <laughs> whereas this one, yeah, this one I'd highly recommend. Although when I did the training camp with the girls, any flat sections, I was really struggling. I had to like sit right on the back and tuck right in. <laughs> which is hard to do when you're six months pregnant. <laughs> right. Well, I love hearing a little bit about e-bikes because, yeah, I haven't heard much about them, certainly from our, the riders on the show. Well, so this is it. A lot of people, of bike riders kind of look like, are a bit snobbish about e-bikes. and A bit, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and not every e-bike is made equal, the same as not every road bike is made equal or every cross bike is made equal. So to actually be snobbish about something before you've, understood it and appreciated it is a bit harsh and even one of my friends that's a runner that I meet up with she takes her kids in the back of a trailer but she's got like a single speed that she takes them in and she'll ride 10 miles in it and she's like yeah it's really hard work though and that just puts you off whereas I'll happily ride 10 miles with my e-bike with the kid in the trailer because I'm still getting a brilliant workout. I'm still on like a 165 heart rate because I'm competitive Helen. And I overcompete myself and go over the speed limit and so end up like riding at 28k an hour thinking, why is this so much hard work? <laughs> Whereas she's not getting anywhere any faster and she ends up using the underground quite a lot, which is obviously is environmentally friendly as well, but she'd much rather need a bike, but she's too... She thinks that e-bikes will make her lazy. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> there's more than one e-bike. And this Ribble is, yeah, is absolutely brilliant. And it's cross gravel road, CGR. And it's got like 36 mil gravel tires and they're Schwalbe ones, Schwalbe ones, and they're like indestructible. You can ride everywhere here and there's loads of gravel here. So you can just switch surfaces all the time. I beefed up the tires on my trailer i've got a tule bike trailer for the kid and we got like <laughs> heavy duty mountain bike tires for the winter um which are quite draggy i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but i actually wore through the ones that came on the trailer oh. <laughs> um because we've done a lot a lot of kilometers on that bike with the trailer so it's just having living here in a really bike friendly city we don't use the car for maybe six weeks at a time. Just a small break for a big thank you shout out to all our Patreon patrons. I'm so grateful for all your support. Later this month, I have another special exclusive interview created just for you. If you aren't already a member, you can hear that interview by joining our Patreon at the $5 level or above. Go to patreon.com slash hearhersports. Patreon may not be your thing. You can always make a one-time donation at hearhersports.com. 
All of your financial support helps fund the costs of putting the show together, hosting the audio, website fees, the app I use to record calls with guests, and a few apps I use to improve the athlete guest experience. Your support makes a difference for us, and beyond that, supporting independent women-run sports media increases the percentage of sports coverage about women. Your help brings more female athletes into the spotlight so young girls and women can see what is possible. Before we leave, I would like to hear uh, sort of thoughts of what's happening with the world championships that are going to be here in the U.S. And, you know, like, let's start with who to watch. So junior women, Zoe Baxter is going to win, although she has just had COVID. Yes, I heard that. Mm -hmm. I still think. I think Leonie Bentveld will be closer to her, but Leonie crashed in a race and had to have stitches in her knee. So... Yeah, I think they're probably, I think it's going to be Zoe Backstead, Leonie Bentfeld, and um, third, it's probably going to be some random person that you've never really heard of because that always happens in junior racing. And then uh, junior men is the Belgian national champ, no, the Dutch national champ. I can't remember his name, but he, he, I'm sure he's going to win. Under 23, Tebow's just messed his arm up at Nationals. He didn't break his collarbone again, but he did do something like dislocated the AC joint or something. So that's going to be really tough to see if he's... He's just got back to really, really good form as well, and he would have been the favourite. But instead, I'm going to hope that Cameron Mason, <laughs> the British rider, could win. But I'm fairly sure Pim Ronald probably will. And the under 23 women will be a very, very exciting race. It will be down to Fen Van Ampel and Puck Peters and Shirin Van Anroy. And in any order is anybody's guess. <laughs> it will depend entirely on the weather conditions on the day. Um, if it's muddy, I think Shirin. If it's kind of half and half, I think Fem. If it's a very technical fast course, probably Puck. So any of those three. Uh, elite women, I really, 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 really want Clara Hunsinger to win. Really? I really, really, really want her to win. Well, I'm not going to argue with you for sure. She, She's developed through the Kona program with Eric Tonkin. And she's, she's really funny and a really nice woman. And I've spent a lot of time with her and... I think she's super strong and she always comes good at the end. And if she has a reasonable start, we're talking top 10 start, then I think she can contest for the win. And I really want her to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure the odds on favourites are probably Voss or Brand, but I just really want Clara to win, so I'm going to go back. I'm just going to back her the whole way. All right. All right. Are you willing to comment on Clara's starts? Yeah, I think everybody can see that she doesn't start as well as the top riders. She said in the last interview from one of the last World Cups that she got second and then she was only four seconds off. That was Holst. She said that if I did started faster, maybe I wouldn't be able to finish as fast. Equally, 
unsure. And I know she's worked on her starts as well. But yeah, it is, it's, <laughs> it's a fair comment to say that she doesn't start as fast as, as Betsima Brand and Voss. And you don't win a bike race, a cross race at the start of the race, but you can absolutely lose it at the start of a race. And if you're 20th going into the first corner, when you start on the front row, then yeah, you're not a fast starter. And do you think it's simply fast twitch, slow twitch, or is there something else going on? <laughs> You'd have to speak to her coach. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's got to be practicing. I know um, that's what, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I don't think it's fast twitch, slow twitch because she can sprint as well. So yeah. um, I think there's probably reaction time. There's probably, it could be something so simple. So cross starts are actually a really, really important thing. If you bend your knee, the leg that's touching the floor, if you bend your knee, you get more spring when you accelerate. So if you watch Voss on a on a start, she's off the saddle, her left leg is really bent, her right leg is bent on the bike, her hands are on the drops and she's tucked. And as soon as the, the lights change, she's pushing off of her left leg on the ground while pushing her right leg on the pedal while out of the saddle already, basically. If you watch a rider like Brand, she's seated on the bike when she starts and her leg isn't anywhere near as bent, but there is still a slight bend in it. And I haven't examined Clara's start position at all, so I can't comment on if there's a tiny tweak that could make all the difference or not, but sometimes it is that simple. Yeah. Well, that's my opinion, because I think she's certainly is strong enough to have a fast start. Yeah, I don't think there's anything physically wrong with her. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything physically stopping her from being faster. Absolutely not. What about the aggression of the starts? Well, that again, you choose your, your position on the start line. So I always used to start on the edges, because even if I was second in the world ranking, I'd still start on the edges because I never had the guts to go through on the middle. So the preferred lines on the first front row is middle, either side of the middle, and then flaring out. But if I started on the outside, I only had one person I had to contend with next to me, not two. So if someone cut you up, you're only cutting up from one side, you can push back. You you don't have to get in that fray of stuff which happens in the very middle. I was never that good at it in road racing either, in a peloton, like just moving around in the middle. I always used to move up the outside and then come back through the middle and then move up the outside. Very inefficient, but it's the way that I had to do it. Um, and so if you're not used to that level of aggression at the start, then yeah, you can, you can again change your strategy. You pick, and you can also pick, depending on where the first corner is, if the corner goes to the left, you can pick either, depending on your style of riding, either the inside and then break later than everybody else. Bit dodgy, but can work. Or you can pick the outside and go around as people get to the corner. So when you watch a cross race and you just see the start and you're like, oh, that's a cool start. Oh, that's not a great start. There's so much to it <laughs> that not one person can sit there and say, oh, if Clara did this, then she'd be faster because that's not possible. Well, I totally agree. And, and actually my interest in Clara's starts is because I know that I would be having the same trouble that she has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a 
million things involved in that. There's crazy stuff. Like in cross clinics, we get people to start on the opposite foot to what they're used to starting. So oh, wow. if your strongest leg is your right leg, why would you put your right leg on the pedal when your right leg probably has better proprioception and can find the other pedal quicker, which is another major part of a start, clipping in. If you're not clipped in, you can't get out of the saddle and accelerate. You can be out of the saddle, but you can't accelerate properly if you're not clipped in. So why wouldn't you try starting with your left foot when the right foot, say your right foot orientated. So you put your left foot in the pedal, you put your right foot down. It feels really weird the first time you do it. And you push off of the right leg, which is your dominant side, which in theory is stronger than your left side. And that will give you the most spring to start to get away. And then because your right foot should have better proprioception, you should be able to click your right foot in quicker as well. So try it I'm and see to. what happens. And we make people do that in cross clinics and it freaks them out. <laughs> but some people have actually changed their riding style and found they're a couple of seconds quicker off the start just off of that. And again, I'm not saying... For Clara, she works with great people. She works, she has a fantastic team around her with Stu Thorne and the Cannondale team. And like, I'm sure she's explored every avenue on this and I'm sure it's work in progress. Of course. I think also the field have got slightly more aggressive over time. There are certain riders that have always traditionally been more aggressive than others. I was actually impressed at how Clara held her own a lot more this season than I've ever seen her during the race. Um, like Betsima cut her up. No, was it Puck? Oh, I remember that. One of the Dutch riders cut her up a bit on one of the steep climbs that she was yeah. able to ride and they weren't. And the next lap, she just barged through the gap. And that's how you have to respond to them. When they respect you, they give you a little bit more room. Mariana Voss is always... In my opinion, from my racing, I've always found her incredibly respectful of other riders. And other riders have always moved out of her way. Like if she's at the back of the field, she crashes or something and she's trying to come back through, people move out of her way. At the front of the race, she doesn't do stupid moves. That one in Val de Sol she did, which was a mistake, but it could have actually, it was, it was a brave move. It wasn't a stupid move. When she came past Brand in Trek Cup this year to win it, she she was nowhere near touching her, ever. And she cut through this tiny little gap that you wouldn't even thought was a gap. And she did it in such a brilliant way. But not everybody else is like that. <laughs> and you quite often watch races and think, oh, hold on, that wasn't necessary. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with Clara that it can be quite... If you're not used to that at all, which American racing isn't like that at all, there's is, you know, it's it's not quite please after you, but it is very, <laughs> very, very much, um, very much calmer. People establish where they are, and then they don't really they don't do douchey moves really. Whereas in Europe they do that all the time. But like I said, as you gain more and more respect, and not necessarily because you're you're the best. I don't know that Katie Compton ever had the massive respect that some riders have, but I think Clara has gained a lot of respect with her strength, particularly, especially if a strong rider comes past you in a race and you can hold on to them, they can actually take you up another few places. And that's actually a really useful thing to have. I used to use Katarina Nash a lot. <laughs> she was awesome. She never had a fast start in the past. 
And whenever she came past you, if you could hold her for a lap and a half, you'd be in the front five and finish the race in the top five. So, yeah. I mean, people respect that in riders, don't they? So True. she will gain more, but you do also have to hold your own in order for that to happen. And that's not an American way of doing things. In right. Class. Right. And, and just to sort of repeat what you said, I mean, her starts have been much better this year than they have been in the past as well. So clearly, as you said, a work in progress. Yeah, definitely. But when you have the fastest lap on the last lap of a World Cup, you kind of feel like there's massive room for improvement still. And something so... It's not simple. <laughs> when you're a racer, your start is simple because you spent so long perfecting it. So, yeah, if she can perfect a decent, it doesn't even have to be the fastest in the world, honestly. It only has to be a top 10. If you're in that top 10 going into the first corner, you have so much more freedom and so much less effort to be, you're, you're guaranteed to be in the top. For Clara, she's guaranteed to be in the right. top five at the end of the first lap if she's in the top 10 in the first corner. So it's worth it. It's entirely, entirely worth it. She's also very young still. So there's time. Yeah, she's like 25, isn't she? Uh, I don't even know if she's 25. I'm going to say she's 24 or 25. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, to me, that's young. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> me too. I, didn't, I didn't know my peak is until probably 29 to 33. So, yeah, 25 is young. In terms of modern day cross, that, uh, yeah, Fen Van Empel's 20. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like Peter's twenty-one. Like exactly. even I think Warston. Zoe is even younger. Seventeen. Yeah, yeah. it's like, um, yeah, she's seventeen. She's eighteen this year. But like, yeah, you can't call her young because she's not the young ones. But she's definitely not reached her peak yet. Absolutely, right. absolutely right. not. Well, I kind of sidetracked us, and you were going to tell us your picks for the men elite. Oh yeah, Tom Pickock. Okay, good. Uh, probably Michael Van Tornau and Two Nuts. Okay. And what about the course? It was muddy when it was a World Cup, wasn't it? It sure was. So hopefully mud. Mud will make for, well, the faster racing makes for more exciting racing to watch on TV, to be fair. But the mud makes my favourites have a bigger advantage, so... <laughs> 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 My personal hope is sunny and muddy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that works, does it? That's a tough one. Well, it could have rained the day before. What do you think the impact of having the world championships here is going to be? And in part, I'm just curious, you know, like traditionally the U.S. does not have the strongest cyclocross racers. So I'm interested in, you know, like what does this country need to do to improve that? Wow, how long have you got? <laughs> um, in terms of cyclocross, the last World Championships were in Louisville were amazing. And it was so, so many European riders loved it, even more so from racing in Belgium because they were so not used to being cheered for. Because in Belgium, they cheer for the first rider and then it's like silence, basically. And that the noise was just epic the whole way around, the whole day. And the crowds were amazing and they're super friendly. And the Europeans loved it. They really genuinely loved racing there. 
And that was what, 2014? 2013? Something like that. And I don't see huge changes in terms of the number of riders making it the top of the sport from America. And that was six years ago, seven years ago, which I think is a real shame. But your your geography is your biggest <laughs> issue. <laughs> it would be like saying, well, we need to grow our cross scene. So we're going to have Belgium, Italy, France, Holland, Germany, Spain, all together. And <laughs> we're going to judge it on that. And it's like, well, you can't really because geographically it's almost impossible for a junior that lives on the west coast to race east coast and there's not enough races because there's not enough people doing the sport for the land mass that you have (laughs) so I've always had this thing and me and Chris Auer the guy that used to run uh, that still does run um, Charm City CX had this huge discussion one night we were probably a little bit tipsy and we had this discussion about junior racing in America and how juniors to a European are 16 and 17 year olds. And juniors to an American is anyone under the age of 19. So that could be a 12 year old. And if you're a 14 year old, you could race cat three, or you could race juniors, or you could race vets or whatever it is. There are like three or four different options. And quite often you'll go to a race and you'll see riders of the same age, which in Europe would have to race in their age group, racing different races and they never race against each other. And that to me seems really silly because you're not, of course, in some regions, there aren't enough riders to really do that. And that's where your geography is an issue. But where you do have that opportunity for more than one from that age group to race each other. You're actually learning to beat your peers. And that's the whole thing about the junior women's race was learning to win races by beating your peers, not by getting trounced every week by people that are older than you that you're gonna take four years to get better than. So to me, American Cross needs to fix its age groups for the younger riders. And from there, you'll actually find that those riders would learn to be better than who they're racing with, would learn to win races, would take that onto the next level and would be your next elites that are really, really good. So of course you have to stay in the sport and blah, blah, blah. And it it is an expensive sport in America. So the short answer is make age group, young people under the age of 19, make them race their age groups together and the long answer is yeah is a, a really you really screwed with your the size of your country basically i mean we had 122 14 to 16 year old boys in that age group at our national championships and we're a small well, country compared to yeah. yours but geographically we're a small country compared to yours population size we're a small country compared to yours, but your population's so spread out and you have other sports that are massive. And And cycling in general is much bigger in the UK now since we've had Bradley Wiggins win the Tour de France, Chris Froome, and um, I've forgotten his name. 
the Welsh kid. Geraint. Geraint Thomas is one. Mm. So, yeah, cycling in general is bigger in the UK, whereas in America it's kind of seen as a poor man's transport, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, Which not is a big never gonna country. never gonna help. Yeah. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time, but before we sign off, what's something that you're looking forward to in women's cyclocross? You know, next season. Next season, I'm looking forward to a healthy Alvarado. Because I don't think we've seen the we've seen the best of her yet. I think she can be better than she was in 2020. I'm looking forward to seeing. We still would have only had two junior world championships, but the junior riders will be in their third year of racing. So I'm really excited to see what happens there. And I'm also I'm also excited to see what happens when the UCI does make mandatory junior women's racing on the same day as junior boys racing and to see who drops junior boys races rather than ups their game to make it equal. Oh, see, I didn't ask about that, but yes, it's possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Britain actually has done, um, they've only had five UCI races this year and everyone has had junior women race as well. So a lot of countries are doing that, which is Excellent. really good. I kind of yeah. told them they had to. They wanted to, but I kind of told them they had to. So. <laughs> <laughs> not, not everyone has you in their ears so. <laughs> well thank you so much this has been really really a treat for me thank you okay no worries nice talking to you and that's it for another great show and more great women athletes we love that you're here listening following and supporting it would be fantastic to say hello at Worlds so find me there I'll be carrying a hear her sports tote we always have great shows coming up, so make sure to subscribe for free to hear her sports on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, bye-bye. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.